0: Have you fallen recently? Have these messages in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, the anatomy of a fall, hit really close to home? You might be asking, well, what do I do now, Pastor Michael? Well, one of the great Psalms of confession is Psalm 51, and I would encourage you to spend some time there and look at the heart of David and the heart of God. We'll delve more into what we do now today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. A good way to think about 2 Samuel 12 is maybe like this. What happened to David? David. If you were to read the story, maybe later on in the Jerusalem Post, or maybe it would be an episode of 2020, and you would ask the question, what was the anatomy of David's fall? What led to this? We, we have dug that out. And, and this series, by the way, will be available out in the courtyard in the next week or two, But so you can pick up all four teachings. But as we look at what happened, David fell because he saw something and he instead of just turning away, he took the next steps downward. And he, he ended up being with a woman that was not his wife, and he committed adultery. And when he, when he uh, had done what he had done, instead of coming clean, he went into what we called cover-up mode. And uh, one of the messages, part two of this message from 2 Samuel 12 was the cover-up. And what David tried to do is get... Uriah to come home, be with his wife. That way it would cover who the child belonged to. And David tried to do that. And it didn't work. Uriah was too honorable. Uriah would not be with his wife. So David sent him back to the battlefield with his own death warrant. Uriah died. David married Bathsheba, brought her into his home. And maybe David felt like he had got away with it. But if we try to cover up our sin, our sin will what? It will find us out. And God knew what was going on. At the end of chapter 11, says that what David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet. and Nathan came to David and told him a parabolic, a parable story about a rich man and a poor man. The poor man, all he really had was this little ewe lamb that he had purchased with his money. The little ewe lamb sat at the table with the family, ate from the master's hand, drank from his cup. Man, he really loved this little ewe lamb. And then the rich man had a visitor come into town, probably somebody important. And the rich man had many flocks and herds. And instead of taking from his many flocks and herds, he went in stealthily, with trickery or using his power and stole the one little ewe lamb from the poor man, killed it, prepared it for his guest and took the one thing that the poor man and his family had. And when David heard the story, David didn't know it was about him. David was enraged. And maybe he said something like this, reading between the lines, where is that man? Who is that man? Wait till I get my hands on that man. You ever been there before? Ever heard a story that just makes you filled with outrage. And then Nathan, with those famous words that echo through time, you are that man. The man that you're so angry with, the man that you say deserves to die, you are that man. David had to be stunned. And Nathan went on and began to declare what was going to happen to David as a consequence of his sin. What you did in secret is going to happen openly. The sword's never going to leave your house. You used the Ammonite sword to kill Uriah. Now the sword's not going to leave your house. And David had to swim in the consequences of his sin. Revelation 2 is where I want you to take a peek just for a second. I know you've all probably heard it before, but it's the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is addressing seven churches, so this is not written to unbelievers. It's written to churches, the church at Ephesus. We all know the letter to the Ephesians. And as much as he commends them about what they do well, they work hard, verse 2, Revelation 2, 2. They put people to the test. They've exposed those who call themselves apostles, but they're not. They've proved them, found them to be false. They persevere. They endure for his name, Revelation 2, 3, They have even not grown weary. But the one thing that the Lord of the church had against the church at Ephesus was these famous words, you have left your first love. If you were to capture what happened to David, David was chosen by God. David was a man after God's own heart. If you were to ask the question, what is a man or a woman after God's own heart? Wouldn't you say that a good way to think about it is someone who loves God? Because you're supposed to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So David had a heart that was in love with God, but he left that first love. He forgot who he was. When we sin, go back to 2 Samuel 12, and you, you guys will note in verse 5 of Revelation 2, there's, there's what they should do. Remember from where, from where you have fallen, repent, return to your first love. There's something that you can do after you fall. You can repent. You can return. That's what David is about to do now. He's about to return to his first love. When we sin, we forget who we are. We forget that commitment, that covenant relationship that we're in. We commit sometimes spiritual adultery on the Lord. We, we think, well, maybe maybe that's not enough. You know, when people leave their covenant with their spouse, when they leave their first love, when they cheat on them, that's in essence what is being said. This is not enough for me. I I have to have more. Think about it. You're not enough for me. That's basically what we're saying. That's what we're saying to God, and this is hard to take, but here's the truth of it. When we sin against God, what we're saying is, you're not enough for me. Your blessings, the vitality of life, your Holy Spirit, Uh, I got to find thrill over here. I got to find more over here. And then we go and we eat the dangling carrot. And what do we find? It is filled with brittle cement. (laughs) It's nothing. It, It never, sin never produces what it promises, does it? And so you have the cover up, the confrontation, and now the confession. In verse 13 of 2 Samuel 12, we pick up the story. Nathan's told David the stunning story, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, 2 Samuel 12, 13, the Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. You know, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. I think it was Corey ten Boom who said, God has cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness and posted a no fishing sign there. It's pretty cool. He is no longer counting your sins against you in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.19. You have the righteousness of Christ, which that chapter later says that because we're in Christ, we are righteous before God. We are righteous clean before God. Yet when we sin, as I've mentioned in previous weeks as we've studied this topic, even though positionally we are right with God, we're forgiven, we still have to deal with consequences. And that's what David is going to have to deal with now. Even though he would not die, the Torah said that murderers and adulterers died, and that's what David was. He had committed adultery and murder. You can reference Leviticus 20, verse 10. Leviticus 24, 17, Exodus 21, 12. David had sinned against God. He was worthy of death, yet he would not die. You remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? Caught in the very act in John chapter 8. The law says she should die. What do you say? Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) Right? They were trying to trap Jesus, no doubt. So Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground and... All the commentators on John 8 wonder, what did he write? Was he writing everybody's names in the crowd and their sins? There's a possibility that he was drawing a cross in the ground. The Greek allows for that, by the way. We don't know for sure. But Jesus rose up and said, okay, he who is without sin, you go ahead and throw the first rock at her. We'll take note of who you are. Go ahead. Well, from the oldest to the youngest, they began, or the youngest to the oldest, I don't remember which way it goes. They began to drop the stones and walk away. Woman, where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you. Go, remember, and sin no more. Don't put yourself in this position again. If you've fallen, look, we all make mistakes. Don't go back and do it again. You know Jesus is. People talk a lot about Jesus, and you know, oftentimes they talk in settings where you know Jesus is gracious. Jesus will, you know, uh, he he never said words to condemn this or that. You know, whenever Jesus confronted people, he was incredibly gracious, except with the Pharisees who were hypocrites right? People who you thought he might condemn, he didn't. But then he would say to them, don't do it again, (laughs) right? Don't repeat this, the man at the pool of Bethesda, so that something worse may happen to you. David wrote Psalm 32. If you turn over there in the wake of what happened with Bathsheba, Psalm 32. Go to the book of Psalms. The Psalms are always incredible uh, to read through. They minister to our hearts and souls. They're real. They're raw. They have stuff in there about joy and rejoicing and stuff in there about hard times. Psalm 32. This is called a, a Psalm of David, a mass skill. I think when you look up the Hebrew term for mass skill, um, scholars are not sh- exactly sure what the Hebrew means, but it could be something like this a song to the wise it's a good way to think about a mass skill it's just a heading on a song a song to the wise hey listening family I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com and I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there it's called the anatomy of a fall and it's from 2nd Samuel 11 and 12 how can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours. Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, and when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store, and look for The Anatomy of a Fall. Purchase it, pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you. The man at the pool of Bethesda, so that something worse may happen to you. David wrote Psalm 32, if you turn over there, in the wake of what happened with Bathsheba. Psalm 32. Go to the book of Psalms. The Psalms are always incredible uh, to read through. They minister to our hearts and souls. They're real. They're raw. They have stuff in there about joy and rejoicing and stuff in there about hard times. Psalm 32. This is called a, a Psalm of David, a mass skill. I think when you look up the Hebrew term for a mass skill, um, scholars are not sh- exactly sure what the Hebrew means, but it could be something like this, a song to the wise. It's a good way to think about a mass skill. It's just a heading on a psalm, a psalm to the wise. So here's what it says. This is what David wrote, Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Those of you who have studied the book of Romans know that Impute is an important word because the idea of sin uh, being imputed. Um, Jesus Christ takes our sin as though He had committed it and He imputes righteousness to us. It's kind of an accounting term where He's credited His righteousness to our bank account and our sin went to His account. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David was deceitful in his sin with Bathsheba all the way through, through his cover-up. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. David wrote this psalm most likely to reflect on the year that went by in his cover-up. Remember, when when David is confronted by Nathan the prophet, the baby is basically born. So about a year has gone by. And David is going to describe that year. And what he describes is a man who was groaning all day long. Now, those who are chronologists of the Bible believe that David was about 50 at this point of his life. I told you he might have been having a midlife crisis. But groaning all day long at 50 makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? For those of you who have turned 50 or are beyond Describes quite a few of my days, groaning all the day long. But anyway, we'll move on from that. For day and night, here's why he groaned. Thy hand, God's hand, was what? It was heavy upon him. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah, think about it. It's a pause in the song, it's a place to meditate. My vitality was drained away. Why? Because God was pressing on me hard. God's heavy hand, his disciplinary hand. Have you ever seen someone, maybe you haven't seen them for a while, and you understand that they've been caught in a sinful lifestyle, and you see them, and they look like they've aged beyond their years? You know, if you ever see addicts, Sometimes they're in their 20s and 30s and they look like they're 20 or 30 years older than they actually are. Their vitality has been drained away. They've been been beat up by sin. And here, because God loved David so much, God was heavy upon David. He wouldn't let David get away with it. David said, I was drained like I had a a fever in the summertime. I acknowledge my sin to thee. Verse 5 There's a shift now. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Selah, pause. Think about it. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. The New Living Translation says that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. You are my hiding place, Verse 7. You, prepare, you do preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. When you sing on a Sunday morning, sing about what God's delivered you from. Amen. When we sing salvation songs, we can't forget who we were before we met Jesus <laughs> under the judgment of God without hope in the world. I will instruct you, Says David, and teach you, verse 8, in the way that which you should go, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. <laughs> Some of you may need to underline that. I underlined it. Would you join me? <laughs> Don't be like a mule. You ever seen a mule who just doesn't want to go where they need to go? They're fighting it, and the master's pulling on them, and they're skidding out. Don't be that way. Whose trappings include a, a bit and a bridle to hold them in check, otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. That was the right time to shout. (laughs) All right. 2 Samuel, back there. So what's going to happen? Well, the sword's never going to leave his house. What he did in secret will be done publicly. It speaks of sexual sin. Second Samuel 12, verse 14. However, because even though David was forgiven, even though God was not going to deal with him according to his sin, however, by this deed, 14 of chapter twelve, Second Samuel, you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And the child also that is born to you sadly shall surely die. This uh, The enemies of the Lord will blaspheme because of you is quoted by Paul in Romans 2.24. Just write it down. Romans 2.24. The name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Listen to this story. Stuart Briscoe tells about having to deal with a fellow employee who had embezzled a large sum of money from the bank for which they both worked. The reason the man embezzled was that he had two wives and two families to support. He was a polygamist. When he was apprehended and fired, he stunned everyone by saying, quote, I'm very sorry for what I've done, and I need to know whether I should fulfill my preaching commitments on Sunday at our local church. Briscoe says that in the following weeks, he spent a great part of his time mending the damage done by the man's blatant inconsistency at the bank. To his chagrin, He found that his fellow workers not only despised the man, but were quick to dismiss the church he belonged to as, quote, unquote, a bunch of hypocrites. The gospel he professed to believe was a lot of hogwash in their opinion. And the God he claimed to serve, they believed non-existent, close quote. Look, we're not going to be perfect in the world, but if we're trying to live the Jekyll and Hyde life, if we're trying to live on both sides of the fence, the world is watching. Here's a man that's embezzling money from a bank to live a sinful lifestyle, and then he's got the gall to ask the question, should he preach at his church? On Sunday, I was in a class in Colorado. There was a man that was from a church in New York, and he said that it was common knowledge at this particular fellowship that he'd once been part of that the pastor of the church had a mistress on the side. Common knowledge. And no one was willing to deal with the pastor because in that denomination, he was the man. What? How could anybody in their right mind sit there and listen to that man. Now, look, any man who preaches to you on a Sunday could say he's the chief of sinners. So don't get me wrong. I'm talking about a man who's an open rebellion, unrepentant rebellion towards God. What does he have to say to anybody? Now, if he leads you to the foot of the cross, that's another story completely. And anybody who has the privilege of teaching a Bible study or Any kind of platform to preach the truth could say to you, we don't feel worthy to preach what we preach. All week long, we struggle with the same issues that everybody struggles with. But here's the thing. We don't want to be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a phony. It's someone who's playing a religious game. What do you think the enemies of the Lord would say now? Oh, there's David. Yeah, the so-called man after God's own heart. Did you read the article? Did you see it in the, in the grocery line? The mad at man after God's own heart. The, the hand-picked one. And who gets the blasphemy? Who do they blaspheme when this happens? God. So that is motivation for us to try to live the right kind of life. Now, when Nathan went to his house. He left David. And then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow, that's Bathsheba, bore to David. So the child was very sick, verse 15. Just what the Lord said he was going to do, he did. He struck the child. Now, I have no easy, comfortable words to share with you about why this happened. Because some of you are sitting there and you are thinking the same thing. Any reader of this is thinking, why the child? Why does the child have to pay the price for the parent's sin? Well, one thing that we need to do when we're studying our Bibles is to understand that this particular judgment is particular to David and Bathsheba. Because in the New Testament, there was a theology that had developed among the rabbis that if someone had uh, a child died in the womb or maybe uh, died just out of the womb, or there was some sort of birth defect or blindness or deafness, then somebody had to sin. John chapter 9. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither he nor his parents sinned. This has occurred that the glory of God might be made manifest in this man. Be careful because it's easy to sit in judgment and say, well, something sinful must have gone on here. Not necessarily. This particular judgment is, uh, just say, I'll just say it, particular to David. We need to be careful. Here's, an, here's a parallel example, or at least it's it's an example that you can kind of take with this. The rich young ruler. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. Does that apply to everybody? I hope not. I hope it's particular to the rich young ruler. Why? Because his God was money. And here, this child is going to die. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Psalm 119, 66 and 67. But now I keep your word. And so David therefore inquired 16 of God for the child. David fasted. He went and lay all night on the ground. The man who had disregarded and despised God now desperately sought God. You know, when we get the heavy hand upon a God, uh, of God upon us, when we suffer some consequences, it often drives us to God. You ever been there before? You ever had to look in the mirror and go, you know what? I've created a mess. And Sometimes you have to go crawling back to God and you know God invites us to a throne of grace, not judgment that we might receive mercy and help in time of need. Don't run away, run to him. In fact, that's probably I would say that's why his heavy hand's been upon you. Hey listening family, I want to tell you a little bit more about the store at walkintruth.com and I'd like to highlight a teaching we have up there, it's called The Anatomy of a Fall, and it's from Second Samuel 11 and 12. How can we keep from falling to sexual sin in a culture like ours. Well, we've tackled this and put it on the radio recently. I know you can benefit from it. You can also pass it along to a friend. It's available in CD and DVD format. And you go to walkintruth.com, click on the store. And when you purchase a product, you are partnering with us to help us reach more people like you. When you buy something, it goes directly to paying for radio airtime. So walkintruth.com, click on the store, and look for The Anatomy of a Fall. Purchase it, pass it along to somebody else, and you'll be partnering with this radio ministry. We appreciate it. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.